Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a regular catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. I'm Benedict Collins. Call Mikey Sherman a ho. Excellent. Hey, let's kick things off. What have, what's been a uh, highlight from politics in the last week or two for you, Mikey? Um, well, we are two weeks into a three-week sitting block. It is also the budget sitting block, so a very busy time as we all prepare for Grant Robertson's uh, big budget next week on Thursday. Uh, not to mention we've had a few people out of the office this week, haven't we, Benedict? We have indeed. Our uh, our political editor, Jessica Much Mackay, has uh, been struck down by COVID. Um, seems to be doing another round around Wellington. Quite a few um, people at TVNZ have, have um, been struck down after sort of um, in February, late February, early March, another sort of wave had come through and took both uh, myself and yourself out at about the same time, Mikey. That's right. Me and Benedict got COVID at the same time um, around that first little wave, um, which was actually quite scary at the time because that was really when we started seeing the community cases spread for the first time. So it was a little bit freaky. Um, but now, um, and I'm not sure if this is a good thing in, or a bad Wellington, thing, but right? you yeah. feel a little bit invincible, <sighs> sucking in a bit more air than you used to behind that mask uh, with that sort of three-month, you know, sort of shield around you, or, or so they say. Um, so, you know, all the best to Jessica Much Mackay, who is at home. Uh, at the moment, and she's not alone at being home. No, that's right. The um, the Prime Minister, her partner, uh, early, I think, was it Sunday, um, Clark Gayford, he tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, so she's spending the week in isolation. Um, and this does, not not that, of course, but this does, does lead on to my peak for this week. And that was um, uh, Grant Robertson, Deputy Prime Minister. He held postcab, and it was kind of refreshing because he really went after the National Party. Um, and really hyped up quite a lot of pressure on them. And that was in relation to the ACT Party's um, budget, or opposition budget that the ACT Party had put out this morning, sort of um, really putting the pressure on National about what they'd rule in and what they'd roll out. Uh, Sort of reminded me of their John Key days, where he would um, take every opportunity to furiously attack Labour when he was Prime Minister at Postcab. So, yeah, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, Mm. about what what they would rule in or out from the Greens' ideas... Yeah, um, saying, hey, yeah, t- time to put a bit of heat on um, Christopher Luxon, which yeah, um, quite, we did the next day. I am quite enjoying seeing Grant Robertson come with a bit of fire uh, at the moment and, you know, him sort of saying, look, National needs to front up to the public. And he's getting quite, he's getting quite a, you know, he's getting some l- strong language about him lately, which, um, you know, is always, always fun. Speaking of Grant Robertson, actually, that was going to be uh, one of my peaks as well Um, because this morning he held a pre-budget breakfast with the Wellington Chamber of Commerce and might I say there was a mighty fine spread going around uh, this morning at the breakfast hash browns sausages eggs you name it it was on the plate and you know as you are with a television journalist you're waiting for the minister to to get his breakfast plate and to take a bite especially when he says that the core focus of this year's budget is going to be wait for it health. So I'm thinking, all right, you know, the cholesterol's going through the roof. Let's go. <laughs> Give me the pictures that I need for my health story today, Minister. And he didn't. He, he didn't. He refused to take a plate of the full breakfast. Now, what kind of Kiwi in their right mind does that? So I had to do a little bit of investigative journalism because he took a second plate, people. And we're going deep dive now. We're going deep dive. So I ring up his press secretary and I say, is your minister vegetarian? He refused the first plate. And was that second plate vegetarian? 
And then I got a text back in the end, uh, and he's allergic to eggs. Guys, he has an allergy to eggs. So the second plate had no eggs on it. So there you go. So that's some investigative reporting. Move over, Michael Mora. Mikey Sherman's here. Let's go. Well done. Excellent. That's fantastic. Good work, Mikey. <laughs> hey, another really interesting thing that happened this week. I went off um, to Potorua where um, uh, the Green Minister for uh, the Prevention of Family and Sexual Violence, uh, Marama Davidson, announced a- another package of over $100 million for different initiatives. Most of the money is going to community organisations to help them provide services to those people, uh, to-, to victims who need support, but a lot of it around prevention. You know, really, really worthwhile. But the political thing that I found really fascinating was that the um, local Labour MP, Barbara Edmonds, had stuck her giant um, Labour Party gazebo out the front of the event. So it was pretty interesting watching the Green Ministers have to, uh, Green Minister and um, the, the local candidate as well, Jan Logie, having to walk into their big um, announcement. And, you know, Green Ministers don't get too many announcements. And having to walk in under the um, Labour Party, local Labour Party MP's um, banner. And normally, you know, big government announcements where taxpayers' money are, are announced and Labour Party branding or, or national if they're in government, you know, those things are normally kept really separate. So it's kind of interesting um, uh, yeah, to see the optics of that earlier this week. Yes, the optics of that being a four-letter word called R-U-D-E, rude. <laughs> yeah. Hijacking, oh, oh, yeah. hijacking the Green Party minister's oh, oh. announcement like that oh, Labour. Perhaps, perhaps clumsy, I feel, might, yes. may, may have been mm. the, um, behind that. My pit this week has to go to the one and only Dr Shane, a.k.a. Dr Shane Letty, uh, for his comparison of the Māori uh, mortality rate. You know, Māori die at a, at a much earlier age than non-Māori um, uh, at the moment. And when he was asked about this, his response was, well, it's better than it was back in 1840. So that's something to be proud of, isn't it? You know, and I mean, just think about that, folks. Shane Letty comparing Māori life expectancy to 1840 at a time when we were trading in beads and muskets and there were land wars. We should be so lucky. And that's the pit. Yeah. Hey, another really interesting thing that's happened recently that I think we should have a chat about, and um, you did a a, a, um, track on it as well, Mikey, is Trevor Mallard and the issuing of uh, trespass notices to politicians who visited the parliament protest. Now, a whole lot of them um, uh, got trespass notices, former politicians and, um, you know, people who are, I think, intending on standing again. Um, At the next election, you have people like Stephen Franks. uh, I imagine Derek Ball probably got one, the former uh, New Zealand First MP, and also, uh, most notably, Winston Peters, the former Deputy Prime Minister, who put the Labour Party uh, in power five years ago. Um, He got trespassed as well for coming and walking around for half an hour and shaking a few people's hands. What did you make of it? Yeah, well, obviously it was the wrong move. Obviously it, you know, saw a backtrack pretty quickly from Trevor Mallard, um, especially after the threat of litigation from Winston Peters. I think that made him move quick smart. I did interview Sir David Carter, former National Party speaker, um, who said, you know, you really, as the speaker, um, you know, need to have the support of the House behind you. Uh, And I just wonder if Trevor Mallard um, is, is... 
constantly putting that at risk somewhat, especially in the eyes of the opposition parties. He's still got that strong support from Labour and, and the Greens. Um, you know, the Greens were quick to say that, look, they had issues with the last speaker when they were in opposition and their opposition parties are David always, yep. you know, yes, are always sort of, um, you know, having having issues with who, whoever the speaker is at the time. But I do think, you know, with the issues that we saw with the, you know, false allegation of rape against the parliamentary staffer that cost taxpayers around $333,000 because of Trevor Mallard and then this issue here. Here, um, the turning on of the sprinklers and the using of the music, all of that sort of thing. It's just, you know, giving the opposition ammo to continuously call for a vote of no confidence um, in him. Yeah, and once again, you've seen the Prime Minister have to intervene here, right? Um, and instead of pull, a, pull um, Trevor, Trevor Mallard into line. And, you know, they didn't speak publicly, but we had senior members of the Labour Party coming into our office, just shaking their heads at Trevor Mallard's behaviour here, you know, sort of saying to us that, you know, they, they just feel he's getting into this real attention-seeking behaviour where, you know, a little bit of time will go by and then he'll, you know, pull a stunt like this to try and get himself, you know, back into the headlines. What's and, also- and they're banging their heads against a brick wall as well when it comes to, you know, here, here's their opposition, Winston Peters. You know, he's just throwing the limelight back onto him, right? He did an entire morning media round. You know, they, they just can't believe his... You know, poor judgment. Yeah, Winston Peters would have been absolutely loving it. Um, Every second. The other thing to remember is that when these decisions around the trespass orders were first made public, Trevor Mallard really, you know, moved to distance himself from that. He, you know, he was saying that it was um, an operational matter uh, by parliamentary security, security yeah. and that they had made that decision as though he is not the be all and end all of this House of Parliament. Yeah, and you then- know, and that they. Those, those trespass notices would not have crossed his his desk and he wouldn't have put his little rubber stamp on them. The other thing is, is that he refused to give any media interviews. And like from a very basic point, I think that that is just unacceptable, that he would not front to the media when every other politician is having to make themselves available to us almost on the daily, and yet he makes a decision that gets legal threat from the former Prime Minister of New Zealand, Deputy Prime Minister, that that he then has to retract that decision, and he won't, you know, be held accountable to the public via the media. I just don't think that's acceptable. And and, and also that, you know, it doesn't stack up when he says that, you know, he wasn't responsible when he says he wasn't responsible for these things going out, that doesn't make any sense because Stephen Frank says he was in a restaurant where Trevor Mallard basically got up and threatened him and said, you're going to be trespassed soon. Ha, 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 ha. You know, yeah, so, way to so, spoil the dessert. <laughs> yeah, so, so clearly he had um, s- some knowledge of that. Yeah. Hey, moving along now, we've bid farewell to um, Simon Bridges, uh, former National Party leader. Um, just a short time ago, he gave his uh, valedictory speech and... Um, Headed off back out into the big wide world um, after, you know, quite a long time in Parliament. Um, He'll leave a bit of a gap there for the National Party. Yeah, bye-bye Bridges. And, I mean, he he was quite critical of of the media in his valedictory speech. And I do like to to reflect on, you know, what... um, MPs have to say when they depart and I think you know there is a point to it um, just to you know remember that always um, you know that the government is in power and 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 that's where a lot of the attention should be um, focused and if they are strong enough then they will withstand that test and all of it but then 
you know, <laughs> as well, in our defence, the National Party, they just keep, and, and the opposition, and ACT as well, they just keep offering up steaming piles of it on a silver platter some weeks, you know, including, like, for example, the Shane Lisi 1814 remarks. Like, just distraction stuff, just unnecessary stuff. And that's the minor of it. That's the, that's the, that's the least of it. Um, because we're about to talk about the ACT Party budget and all of that hullabaloo. And I just think, look, if you want the media to focus on the government, stop giving them reasons to focus on you. That also has to be remembered. Absolutely. And I've just got a little nugget here that I'll share with everyone. Um, uh, during the um, leadership battle between Simon Bridges and Christopher Luxon, I uh, did, a, did a live cross where I provided a little bit of analysis, uh, which led to a broadcasting standards complaint by someone who was very unhappy that I described um, Simon Bridges as a real political mongrel. Now, um, the, the person was highly offended by this. They th- uh, raised a whole lot of... Um, yeah, connotations uh, that I hadn't intended. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I had said, on the one hand, Christopher Luxon was a real political novice, um, but he did have Sir John Key in his hand, uh, sorry, on his, on his side. And then, yeah, that Simon Bridges, while he had been unpopular with the public, he was a real political mongrel and that he'd take the fight to the government. Uh, yeah, so uh, obviously... Um, TVNZ's lawyers got involved and they um, you know, defended the use of the term, saying it's a colloquial term in New Zealand and dis- described as an admiring term for someone reckless and headstrong with a mongrel streak or a bit of mongrel. It's considered a necessary characteristic for a cutthroat politician or rugby player. It's, it shows them to be unpredictable, dogged, pugnacious and hard-charging. And the, uh, the, the good folk at the BSA um, sided with us on that one. And, yeah, it was... Interesting to get a complaint on that because it's probably the biggest compliment I've ever paid uh, Simon Bridges. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving right along now. Act Party. So, yeah, this Act Party um, budget, first of all, kudos to the Act Party for actually coming up with, you know, an alternative budget. Uh, The National Party certainly hasn't done that um, ahead of the government's big budget next week. Um, It's, you know, fully costed and and all of that. It came in glossy paper to us uh, over the weekend that giving the media some time to go through it, which was very thoughtful, I might add, for any future press secretaries. Uh, But it did suggest that we cut a number of ministries, the Ministry of Māori Development, the Ministry for Pacific Peoples, the Ministry for Women, uh, the Ministry for Ethnic Communities and the Human Rights Commission. So we put that um, to Christopher Luxon uh, because as Benedict mentioned earlier, um, you know, there have been um, many times in the past where whoever the opposition party is, has been asked, you know, what they think about their future coalition partners' policies and what the public might expect um, in terms of, um, you know, whether those would get across the line, especially with these minor parties, because they usually have some bold ideas, um, which was the case here with ACT. Uh, But Christopher Luxon refused to um, be drawn into it, which I understand. You know, we are 18 months out from an election. I get it. But the public still, you know, would be interested to know how far, given, given how bold the ACT Party's um, alternative budget is, it's not unreasonable to get an idea um, of, of where uh, a future coalition of National and ACT might take that. Because ACT is proposing 14,000 public servant jobs be cut 
that's a heck of a lot of jobs that we see a, a cut of government spending by $5.3 billion over the next year alone. Now, Christopher Luxon himself has agreed that we've got too much fat in, in the public sector and that you know some jobs can be cut back. So the question is how many jobs? You know, what sort of percentage are we talking about here? Act saying 14,000. What is Christopher Luxon's number? Now, he won't be drawn into that, but I think it's still worth asking the question. And by golly, we had a lot of fun with that story that day. We did. (laughs) Yeah, it was entertaining stuff, wasn't it? The Uh, other, quickly just on that, the other interesting thing that happened that day was Christopher Luxon was under so much pressure on where he would go with those things that um, when he was asked if Nicola Willis would be his finance minister in, in a future government, he said yes, which is a very – on one hand, it's not surprising because John Key was early mm. to point out that Bill English would be his finance minister. But, but yeah, so, so there is that. On the other hand, you know, we do know that, that David Seymour would probably be angling or would like a portfolio like that. He seemed pretty – he and and he's yeah. Pretty, when I put it to what's him, what's the right word there? Um, yeah, uh, irked, uh, irked, Yeah, he was An- irked, annoyed, annoyed. Yeah. Um. So I put it to him. I said, um, "Look, Christopher Luxon has promised this to Nicola yeah. Willis. It's all on the tapes, mate. You know, it's on the record. Um, he's he's ruled you out." And David Seymour replied, "He can't make those promises because he hasn't seen the election numbers yet. And when you're heavily reliant on the ACT Party and you've got a third Māori party going, no way, Jose, probably not, you know, then you really do need that coalition partner. So was it premature, as David Seymour says, to rule out you know, him for that job or to, to give that job away? And I tell you what, the only job left that might be of interest is Deputy Prime Minister David Seymour. Yeah, well, I mean, Axon in a really interesting position now, right? Because they had been polling so highly. They were, you know, look, a little while ago, they were looking at maybe bringing in even more than, you know, 10 MPs if they could have held that level of support in the polls in the next election. Now they're tanking because National's getting stronger and stronger. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting position for them to to be in about how they can try and stay. Because for a while they were so much more nimble than National. They were on top of issues way before National and they were getting a lot of publicity for it, but as National kind of grows, as they get a better, not a better team, but a new team around Christopher Luxon and try and build, it puts ACT in a really tricky position, doesn't it? Mm, mm. Yep, which is probably why they're a bit miffed at the Speaker for giving Winston Peters so much airtime this week with those trespass notices. I just want to um, quickly, we'll jump around a bit here, but um, we mentioned this briefly in the last podcast, but about... um, Louisa Wall leaving. And I think just before we did the podcast, we had heard the news that she was getting an ambassador um, role, um, gender equality, I think, in, in the Pacific role. Uh, but we, we looked a bit more into that uh, over the, the next week, and we had to wait a while because we were in a, in a recess, but then it came back. You did a really interesting track on that, Mikey, um, looking at whether or not this was you know outrageous cronyism um, from the, the Labour Party creating this position sort of out of the blue for one of their problem MPs um, with a salary salary of around $200,000 odd dollars. Um, what, yeah, what was your take on that? I think the Māori Party make a good point on this um, because obviously Louisa War as a Māori woman was appointed to the role of Pacific Ambassador for Gender Equality and the Māori Party is saying that it's you know almost an insult 
to our Pacific relations that we put that we didn't offer that opportunity to a Pacific woman because there are very there are lots of capable Pacific women who could do that job. Now the government's and Nanaia Mahuta's response as as the Foreign Affairs Minister um, responsible said, well, you know, we have to remember this is New Zealand's experience. So with our work in, in terms of equality and, um, you know, same-sex marriage and all of that, this is New Zealand's experience that we're going to share to the Pacific. Now, first of all, there's lots of criticism that New Zealand is patronising in the Pacific. And I would suggest that we run the risk of, you know, statements like that run the risk of that sort of same you know, thought that we are being patronising. It's New Zealand's experience. The other thing is New Zealand's experience, New Zealand is made up of a number of cultures, including Pacific. And if we have capable, which we do, Pacific women able to do that job, I just question how much of this was a political expedience, you know, it, whether it was a remedy, a solution for Labour, well, uh, uh, who had a problem on their hands, who created this job for for that purpose, to get rid of a problem um, at the expense of the Pacific community. And I might, who I might add, we're not, um, uh, we're not consulted with because I spoke to the Council of Pacific Women's, uh, of Pacific Women and um, a number of former high-ranking um, Pacific MPs and they knew nothing about it, which isn't unusual, but it's just like on that kind of an issue. I mean, it's not top secret information, is it? It's not, it's not, you know, highly sensitive issues that we're dealing with here. A bit of consultation might have been good. Well, yeah, I mean, you said how, how much of this was just a Labour trying to get rid of a problem. I'd say it's 100%, right? And I spoke to one government source who said this is, Lewis's appointment is going to go down like a cup of cold sick in the Pacific, right? And uh, this person is, says it's only a matter of time until Lewis will, um, you know, gets herself, or, you know, creates a huge, great big um, problem. Um, in the Pacific, and they say it's not going to be just Cinder Dern or Nanaia Mahuta having to clean up after her, right? So there are people, you know, not everyone in the Labour Party thinks this is appropriate. Not everyone thinks, you know, this is a good use of public money um, or that she's the right person for the job. This is very much, you know, um, just Cinder Dern and Nanaia Mahuta trying to get rid of a problematic MP. Yeah, and not not to be too critical of um, Louisa War, who has you know a proven track record of being a hard worker and getting results and getting the mahi done. Um, the issue is there is also concern um, that run, runs alongside that of her having sharp elbows, and I think we sort of saw notes of that um, as part of the way in which she left Parliament. And when you're dealing with Pacific countries who are very um, conservative um, on, on the way that they do things, you know, you just need the right style and the right tact when you go into those countries dealing with some issues that could be sensitive, that could be, you know, emotive and all of that. So you need the person who can, you know, navigate those things in the right way. And it could be Louisa. It could be Louisa War. Um, but I think the, the process leading up to that appointment was not, um, you know, maybe not in, in, in as good a faith to the Pacific community as it could have been. And the politics definitely paid, played a part in that. Yeah, it's almost like you're kind of saying that you feel like she um, should have some like, diplomatic um, abilities there, you know, a little bit of diplomacy perhaps. And, yeah, when you're going out um, inferring that the president of the Labour Party is uh, corrupt and that um, throwing Jacinda Ardern under the bus as well in media interviews... Um, yeah, perhaps diplomacy is not her strong point. Right, next week, 
budget. Big budget week next week. Lock yourselves in. Get ready. Jessica Much Mackay is going to be back. The team's going to be there. It's going to be fun. I can't wait. Wishless galore. And it looks like it's going to be health, yeah? And it looks like it's going to be health. So big, Grant Robertson today, yeah, um, you know, which was also the big emphasis on getting those pictures of that big breakfast this morning, the big focus is going to be health in the budget. So um, keep an eye out for that. Just quickly, also before we wrap up, the borders, the border announcement yesterday from the government reopening us up to the wider world. So those non-visa waiver countries like China, like um, India, um, who make up a huge chunk of um, especially the tourism that comes into New Zealand, they'll be back by the end of July. That's two months ahead of when the government um, had uh, first signalled we, we could expect that to happen, which was going to be in October. At the same time, the government also did the immigration rebalance, so tightening up expectations around who it is that comes into New Zealand, but more specifically, who gets residency faster. And so we've got this new green list um, who can apply for residency from September, so pretty much straight away. Um, That's going to be a huge sort of draw card, I think, for anyone in the roles on that green list. We're talking health professionals, we're talking construction project managers um, and the like. So we'll see though, because the argument from the government is that our over-reliance on uh, migrant workers has driven down wages here. And now that we are tightening it up, I guess the only real proof of whether they've what they've done is going to be successful is if we see those wages start to rise um, domestically. So yeah. Also, going to be fascinating next week in the budget to see what they try and do about the cost of living crisis in, in New Zealand. Um, you know, whether they're going to, you know, what levers they can pull to try and ease things up for so many Kiwis who are doing it tough. Anyway, I think we'll leave it there. One final message: if anyone, any of our listeners, see Mark Mitchell out and about, please um, invite him to come and have a sit, sit down with you at your table. He uh, put put out a tweet um, the other night from. Um, the Parliament restaurant coppers saying that uh, Labour MP Greg O'Connor wouldn't let him sit down at the same table and have a chat with him about parliamentary rugby uh, because the police minister was sitting there and um, Labour is very unhappy about his continued um, targeting of the police minister during question time, asking her questions about her portfolio. So yeah, be kind to Mark Mitchell if you see him out and about. He um, he clearly had hurt feelings. Anyway, that was One News Inside Parliament, our regular catch-up about the political stories and gossip we've been covering. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. It's available most weeks on One News Online and you can check us out on your favourite podcasting app. 